ವಸುದೇವಸುತಾಣುರಮದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು we're studying the bhagavad gita we are almost at the end of the fifth chapter and we saw in the verses we're going to do verse number 24 today uh before that we saw bahya sparsheshu asaktatma is verse number 21 vindati atman yatsukham so this tendency we have of flowing outwards uh, of trying to attain satisfaction or fulfillment from uh, from external objects from the other so from taste and smell and sight and touch uh, sense pleasures and never works no amount of it will will satisfy you it just increases restlessness so the person who is who withdraws from trying to get uh, pleasure from external uh, you know from sense uh, pleasures that that person is fit for um, for enjoying the bliss of the atman what is meant by the bliss of the atman is the very infinitude of the atman this unlimited being unlimited awareness this is the source of fulfillment and it is experienced not as an object uh, so it is the source of all joy all of our joy is because of the atman um and the enlightened person also experiences joy <coughs> fulfillment in the mind so it's not that the one who has become enlightened will suddenly stop um, having any kind of objective mental happiness the kind we are uh, accustomed to that question arises you know as people think that you are sort of side stepping they should tell us directly is the enlightened person happy or not yes very happy and continuously so but again we must remember that happiness is also reflected is a, is an arising in the mind because of the satvik mind because of the sense of fulfillment because of the sense of unlimitedness arising from the realization that i am unlimited being awareness that is the joy that comes to the enlightened person from a, i'm speaking entirely from an advaitic perspective and then in 22nd verse and 23rd verse Sri Krishna again emphasizes the importance of sense control. Yehi sangsparsha ja bhoga dukkha yona evate. Dukkha yona evate, that is this, the, the pleasures born of contact, senses with their objects, sight with form, ears with sound. The pleasures born of that, the variety of pleasures, the panorama of pleasures we get, if you depend on them for fulfillment they will be sources of sorrow for you they will never give us fulfillment and they will give us frustration restlessness addiction pollution of the mind and ever increasing thirst which can never be fulfilled by anything outside on the other hand if and um, if you are centered in the self you have clarity that you are this unlimited being and you see it as a fact in that case one can happily interact with the sense objects you can uh, the, the pleasures of the senses they may come and go you do not depend on them for anything if they are there fine if they are not there also fine you do not chase them uh, you do not miss them uh, if they are coming 
you may note yes this is pleasurable yes that is uh, painful so sense contact this is pleasurable that's painful even the enlightened person can note um, sri ramakrishna liked jalebi the uh, sweet uh, swami vivekananda liked ice cream so did did they did they feel the pleasure of eating a sweet or a candy yes they did but uh, that is not something neither that or nothing else in the world they do not look to it for satisfaction they do not look to it for fulfillment uh, i remember once a young man it happened in front of me that like many young men who come to become monks this young man had come to our main monastery to become a monk and the senior sadhu they are referred to a senior monk who guides them so i i had gone to meet this senior monk and i entered his his room where he was talking the office with one such young person who had come who wanted to become a monk and the senior monk was sort of interviewing you know it's it's oddly a little bit like a job interview you know <laughs> who are you why do you want to become a monk uh, what have you done before this and things like that now uh, the senior monk wanted to give tea to this young person and he asked for tea he asked somebody one of the workers in the office to bring tea and then uh, the tea came at that moment i entered the room somebody bought the tea and that monk was telling that young youngster said look here we asked for tea and the tea has come but the tea may not have come and if it's both are exactly the same to you you can become a monk now i know what he meant but the young man just looked confused what does that have tea have to do with becoming a monk he didn't i could clearly see he didn't get the point then 23rd verse he says shaknoti haiva yasodum praksharira vimokshanat kama krodh udbhavam vegam sayukta sasukinara again emphasizing the point shri krishna says that the waves the the waves of desire or anger also may come in the mind of passion and anger the thing is how do we react to that if we let it go or we give in to that then we are overwhelmed by it and we we strengthen those tendencies but if we do not let um, uh, let go if we do not surrender to those waves do not act upon those thoughts and impulses then we begin to control they can begin to come under our control we start developing the opposite samskaras the control samskaras and this is at the level of practice we'll see later he will refer to this again and say there is another level which comes uh, after enlightenment where even those waves will not arise um, that person so it's not that at all times uh, such thoughts passions anger will keep on arising in the mind no no there is a stage where one goes beyond that also but for a long time this is the proper advice for us till the very end of this as long as we live in this body make it a practice not to give in to waves of either desire or anger this is a sign of a mature person now let us go on 24th verse so from here on verse 24th verse uh, up to the end of this chapter he will tell us about uh, the various spiritual practices and the result of all of that the result of all of that is brahmagyana the result of brahmagyana is jivan mukti enlightenment and the result of enlightenment is being enlightened while living jivan mukti so let us see uh, verse number 
यो अंतसुख अंतराराम तथा अंतर्ज्योतिरेव सयोगी ब्रह्म निर्वाण ब्रह्म भूतोधिगछति यो ट्रांसलेशन इज ही हुज हैपीनेस इज विदिन हुज रिजॉइसिंग इज विदिन एंड हुज लाइट इज विदिन दैट योगी एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन ब्रह्मन अटेन्स मर्जेंस इन ब्रह्मन दिस इज एनलाइटनमेंट सो व्हाट इज व्हाट डज दिस मीन antasukha whose joy or delight is within antar arama whose whose rejoicing play arama literally means play uh, rest um recreation is within antar jyoti whose light is within now all of this sounds sort of similar almost synonymous so how do you make sense of this uh, i'll give you um an interpretation and in case you are wondering in case you wonder where these interpretations come from they come from various sources primarily adi shankara acharya's interpretation sometimes uh, madhusudan saraswati's wonderful uh, sort of encyclopedic commentary on the bhagavad gita sometimes uh, modern commentaries like swami ranganathanand ji or Ram, swami ramsukh das ji um uh, uh, sometimes a more obscure commentaries so one thing i do not claim to is being original it is always rooted in some kind of appropriate uh, textual commentary traditional mostly traditional sometimes i do say things which i feel uh, instinctively that this is an appropriate interpretation so here what i'm going to say it comes from uh, madhusudana saraswati's uh, interpretation so what is what he says is antasukha both shankaracharya and madhusudan saraswati say that whose joy is the atman the self that you are being this unlimited being that you are this infinite existence not subject to creation and destruction birth and death not subject to change uh, age and disease and all no you this infinite being which you are this perfect existence you know it comes from a sense of ultimate security i have repeated this many times but i really think uh, wittgenstein was onto something he said religion is the search for ultimate security for absolute security and uh, is it possible it is possible when you realize yourself to be being itself what can hurt you you are not subject to being born or you are not subject to death you are not subject to change um so old age modification not, nothing therefore this being and which is always which is awareness which shines all the time uh, this is this is the source of your peace that from that ultimate security comes a sense of peace and fulfillment so that is antasukha shankaracharya simply says atmanish sukha who sees the the uh, fulfillment in the self in the real self antar arama arama in modern indian languages means relaxation it also means in the in original sanskrit meaning would mean recreation even play um so what would that mean normally where is our play our play is in the senses so we seek recreation in the world outside um in uh, in seeing things we like to see you know beauty in nature or a movie or something in spending time with friends this engagement pleasurable engagement with the world is our sense is is our idea of 
play in the world or recreation or rest in the world. And here it's just the opposite. Antararama, whose, uh, whose joy, whose rest, whose recreation is within. It makes very good sense if you interpret it in a dualistic, in, in a devotional way. Whose joy is in, in uh, one's Lord, in, in the beloved Lord Ishta Devata. Whose uh, interactions, plays with, always with God, not with, with the with world or people of the world. So, Antar Arama. Antar Jyoti. So, Antar Jyoti here, you, I mean, the tendency would be to, or the temptation would be to interpret it as consciousness itself, Antar Jyoti. But here, Mother Susan Saraswati says this awareness of awareness, that being from moment to moment, uh, you are aware that you are consciousness. You're not a body, not a mind. So, one who is like this, Antar Jyoti. So, he is indicating Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. And it's, I think it's um, a useful interpretation because the subject of Nididhyasana is coming up fast, very soon. So Antar Jyoti would mean one who is absorbed in, in the self, uh, in Vedantic meditation. Um, and not in sense objects. And Madhusudan Saraswati there very nicely points out that um, even a monk who has no positions and who has no, um, you know, who does not indulge in sense pleasures, you know, who's not uh, trying to attain pleasure in the world outside, even that monk, he, he says very, very evocatively, would that monk not get a sense of pleasure in the, in the cool breeze? You have to imagine a hot Indian summer. So cool breeze, a drink of the cool Ganga water, or the fragrant smell of this, uh, the fragrance of a particular flower, he says, that comes unbidden. So the touch, the taste, uh, the smell, won't they give pleasure, even if the monk is not, not seeking it? So there is, the senses are interacting with objects in the world, and automatically a sense of pleasure will come, and also implies pain also will come, if there is unpleasant contact with the sense object. Isn't that possible? And the answer is Antar Jyoti. Because the attention is inward directed at the, that I am Brahman and it is stabilized there. So Madhusudan Saraswati says two things. Either the person is in Samadhi, absorbed in Samadhi, in which case there is no contact with the world outside. Or, so in which case the person is obviously not um, enjoying sense pleasures. Or the person is uh, aware of the external world. This is called in Vedanta Vyutthana. Vyutthana means arising back into the world appearance. So he said, well, I also do that. I wake up in the morning from sleep. That's not Vyutthana. I, I arise into a world which I consider to be very much real. But Madhusudan Saraswati says, this person, when this person comes back from uh, deep meditation, from Samadhi, and experiences the world and the body and the, and the my activity of the mind, for this person, all of this is an appearance is a, an, um, you know, like an appearance in consciousness, not real in itself. Being not real in itself, there's no question of actually seeking pleasure or satisfaction. You would not seek pleasure or satisfaction in, um, even in the most delicious food you see on a, in a movie. Or if you see the, your friends in a movie, you wouldn't start trying to make conversation with them or spend time with them, the people you're seeing in the movie. Um, so in that way, there is no expectation of any, uh, you know, I will get fulfillment from these people or from these things. 
like the example of the princess of Kashi. I've told that story earlier. You, it, you see it, but you know it's nothing different from me. So that is called Antarjyoti. So what? Sayogi, such a yogi. Here, yogi simply means a spiritual seeker, an advanced spiritual seeker who has um, become enlightened. Brahma nirvanam, Brahma bhuto adhigachati. This person attains Brahma nirvana. Notice the word nirvana is uh, well in use in Vedantic traditions, uh, even before it is used in, in Buddhism. Uh, Buddha makes that the goal of life, nirvana, spiritual goal of life. And it was used in exactly the same sense in, in Vedanta also. So Brahman Nirvana attains Nirvana in Brahman. That means oneness with Brahman, identity with Brahman. Literally, it means being extinguished in Brahman. Nirvana means Nirvapita, being extinguished in Brahman. You, only the absolute remains. My limited individuality disappears forever. That is the goal of, um, of Advaita Vedanta. Now, this is not an any physical event. It's not even a mental event because you are Brahman. So what happens is the confusion, the idea that there is any separation between me and Brahman, that I am an entity who has to somehow merge into Brahman, that confusion goes away. You realize you always were Brahman. That is called Brahma Bhuto Brahma Nirvana Madhigachati. Being Brahman always was Brahman, was always the absolute. Now attains to merger or oneness with Brahman means the confusion, the apparent duality is extinguished. Apparent, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. The apparent duality is extinguished. So it's a beautiful uh, verse. Antasukha, whose joy is within. Antararama, whose recreation or delight is within. Antatatha uh, Antarjyoti, whose light or attention is within. Within where? Not within the body, not even within the mind. Uh, within the self, existence, consciousness place. It's even easier to understand if you interpret it in a theistic, dualistic, devotional way, whose uh, joy is in, in your beloved Lord, uh, whose uh, you know, delight, who delights in the company of God and whose attention is always on God. So, Antar Jyoti, Antar Sukha, Antar Then number 25. Labhante Brahmanir Varnam Rishayakshina Kalmasha Chinnadvaidha Yatatmana Sarvabhuta Hite Rataha. Sages whose sins have waned away, whose doubts have been dispelled, who have controlled their mind, and who are devoted to the welfare of all beings, attain absorption in Brahman. Um, this talks about Jivan Mukti, a person who has become enlightened in this very life. So what is this person's life like? And it talks about all the spiritual practices leading up to that. Um, this should not be new, but the structure is what the structure we talk about, the three tiers of spiritual practice, you can see it here. Um, again, the interpretation I will give for this verse is again based on uh, Madhusudan Saraswati. Labhante Brahma Nirvanam. They attain nirvana uh, and freedom, spiritual freedom, oneness with Brahman. Who are they? How do they attain it? First, it says, Kshina Kalmasha. So we are rearranging the words. Kshina Kalmasha means whose impurities have been uh, attenuated. Literally, mind has been purified. 
purification of mind. And having attained purification of mind, which means um, the strong passions have been quelled, a certain amount of serenity of mind has been attained, and uh, um, uh, you know, one begins to attain the qualifications for spiritual life, the discrimination between the real and the unreal, a dispassion for chasing worldly um, goals, um, and the disciplines of the body, mind, and senses, the sixfold treasure, and a genuine beginning, a genuine desire to realize God. And we all feel that, I wish I had that strong urge to realize God. And we sort of leave it, it's God's will, whenever God wants it will happen. No, it just that just means we don't want it. For things which we want, we don't leave it to God. And let it be God's will that I will get it, but then I am up and doing. And that's exactly what we should do for God realization. Yes, by God's will I will attain, but I am up and doing, because I want it. Let me do whatever I can. So that, that purity of mind comes and a genuine desire to realize God arises. Then what does one do? Yatatmana. Um, efforts, makes efforts, spiritual practices. So after a certain level of, of uh, purification of mind has been attained, um, spiritual practices like meditation, prayer, and uh, Vedantic study, uh, they become effective and you feel like doing them. Before that, before the purification of the mind, one sign is, I, I would really like to meditate, but when I meditate, I feel bored. I would, I'd really like to listen to devotional music and read uh, devotional texts, but uh, you know, I start yawning after 10 minutes of reading that stuff. What happens? It's just the mind is not uh, refined enough, pure enough to enjoy that. So, it takes time. When, when we begin to enjoy it, and then yatatmana, um, you, you are in that, that level where japa, meditation, uh, reading devotional texts, listening to Vedanta, all of these uh, become attractive and you feel like doing more and more. More effort is put in this direction. Then one comes to the final level of spiritual practice. Uh, that is one Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. And these are indicated. Shravana means systematically studying Vedanta, and Manana means, uh, you know, getting clarity about Vedanta by dispelling all doubts, whatever we don't understand. We get, we ask questions, we discuss it, argue our way through it, um, and then we, we are clear about it. And then finally, what we have learned and what we are clear about, we meditate upon that till we assimilate it. That is called Nididhyasana, Vedantic Nididhyasana. And we realize that, uh, and then we become, become Jivan Mukta, basically. And those stages are indicated here. Rishaya, Rishi. Rishi means sage. But here, Rishi literally means the one who has got knowledge of Brahman. Not the knowledge that I am Brahman. I am the Atman. And that comes from Shravana, from the systematic cultivation of Vedanta. Then, um, Chinna Dvaidha, whose doubts have been dispelled. Not a theoretical knowledge, not the kind where I say, yeah, I read that book, I sort of get it, but all those buts are gone now. I get it. It's very clear to me. And this comes through uh, a struggle, a certain process of thinking it through and a growing sense of this is real. So doubts have been dispelled. Chinnadvaita. This is the result of mananam, uh, reasoning and uh, questioning and finding out the answers. And then finally, uh, he says, 
the Brahma Nirvanam attains absorption in Brahman through Nididhyasana, that is understood. So this person becomes liberated here and now in this very body. I think Shankaracharya says, Ihaiva, in this, in this very existence itself. Not after death. After death, of course, but right now. And the result is Sarvabhuta Hiterata. Such a person is dedicated to the welfare of all beings. What does this mean? Uh, it means that this person would like to be of help. The life of such a person would be a blessing. This is the most mature way of relating to other people. Not in the sense of wanting something from them. Not in the sense of disliking other people. You know, running away from human company, that's uh, immaturity. Uh, running, demanding human company, I'm not happy unless there are people around me, that's immaturity. But I'm happy, whether I'm in the midst of people, I'm happy, whether I'm completely alone, and my attitude towards people is, um, what can I do for you, or how can I be of help? I have often repeated Swami Ranganathanji's uh, simple formulation of spirituality. He was the 13th president of our order, Swami Ranganathanandaji. So he said, what is spirituality? When I close my eyes, I find peace within. When I open my eyes, my attitude is, what can I do for you? So this is spirituality. If you contrast it with what is not spiritual, what is worldliness, it's just the opposite. When I close my eyes, I don't find peace within. I find restlessness. People say that, I seem to be better before I started closing my eyes and meditating. Now I've started closing my eyes and meditating, the mind seems to be more restless than ever before. It's just that we have become aware of how disturbed the mind is. Earlier, we never paid any attention to it. Then it's only if you flow with the current, you don't feel the strength of the current. It's only when you try to swim against it, one feels how difficult it is. And the when I open my eyes, not what I can do for you. What, what can I get from you? What can I get from you? No wonder we don't have any peace. No wonder we don't have any peace. I've also repeated this from the imitation of Christ. I like that part where, you know, the disciple is asking Jesus, how do I get peace? And Jesus replies that if you want peace, my son, do these four things. Uh, if I remember correctly. Always seek to have less rather than more. And all the four things are very difficult for us. It is, you can see exactly why modern people are not at peace. They're exactly the opposite of the four things we mentioned there. Always seek to have less rather than more. Always to seek to be last rather than first. <laughs> Always seek to do the will of another rather than your own. Each is more difficult than the earlier one. And finally, in all things, Try to see and accept the will of God. You will get peace. We think we'll get peace in the world today. We are taught, we are brainwashed into thinking the more we have, the more likely we are to be satisfied. No, it's just the opposite. We are taught, if we are first, we're likely to be happy. No. Notice that the bird who tries to sit on top of a pole and flies up there and sits there, can't sit. It's always restless. It's always being blown away by the wind or being attacked by other birds or something like that. Um, so this the mad race to win the rat race. Somebody said, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So uh, the maturity is that you run the race 
you see what the world has to show you and as quickly as possible realize that satisfaction does not lie in this direction that's maturity i have seen it you earn money i know what is earning money you um, you know you have a husband wife children fine that's it you have uh, or even if you don't you've seen it in we all been in families so we have seen what it's like and uh, you've seen a little bit of power you've seen organizations you've seen learning all of that you've seen and you see that none of that in itself gives you nothing is wrong and bad in them but what why the problem is we seek ultimate fulfillment in them that they cannot give you we are trying to find from them uh, people and things of the world ultimate spiritual fulfillment which they cannot they are not designed to give you that so when you turn to spirituality that this can give me ultimate fulfillment and it can and it's also it's a wonderful thing about spirituality is it's not not that it's all or nothing every day moment to moment day to day um, it gives benefits gives a series of blessings you read the lives of holy people you read devotional texts you read these wonderful texts of gita and the upanishads uh, you meditate you pray everything gives a little bit of peace and joy and strength so um why was i saying that i think i lost a thread there so so um oh the opposite of the the four i'm talking about imitation of christ and because we do not do these things we try to accumulate more we try to be first rather than um, who wants to be last who wants to tell their kids be last rather than first last in, in you have to understand in what sense in the in the race to accumulate enjoy and push others aside don't do that if you want peace of mind and then um the will of another we are always taught to do what you think you is good and also make others do it impose your will upon another even if you succeed whether you succeed or fail the very impulse will make you restless and unhappy and the greatest of all practices is to see and accept the will of god in all things in our life so that is spirituality swami rangananthan ji says it is finding peace within when you close your eyes and you open your eyes your only attitude to people is what you can do for them and why are we talking about that because of this phrase sarva bhuta hitayata engaged in the welfare of all beings now engaged in the welfare of all beings it might not apply to all uh, enlightened persons not that all enlightened persons are engaged in uh, you know running schools and colleges and hospitals or even in ashrams and uh, you know uh, teaching vedanta or spirituality they may be or they may not be there is no rule for an enlightened person for a jivan mukta um Swami Vivekananda says that once you have attained enlightenment in his poem Song of the Sanyasi um he says then care not how body lives or go- goes its task is done let karma float it down go thou from place to place and help people out from maya's veil i'm paraphrasing it's song of the sanyasi people are covered from by maya's veil they do not realize that they are one with god to help them out from maya's veil and so some may do this many may not do it actively 
some may simply, Swami Vivekananda says, even if they sit in a cave and meditate, their thoughts, thought vibrations, just like physical things persist in the world, physical world, thought vibrations also persist in the thought world. And they are of great blessings to this world, even if they do not actively come into society. So in any case, they are engaged in the welfare of all beings. I met this monk um, in the Himalayas. He lived in a little cottage on the bank of the Ganga in the high Himalayas, about 10,000 feet up there, a fast flowing river. I remember I went to meet him and all he did all day long was look at the Ganga. He would look at the river as long as it was daylight. And if you talk to him, he would talk to you, but he would look at the river. And uh, that's all he did. And I found it funny that there was this phrase on the top of his cottage, Sarva Bhuta Hiterata, continuously engaged in the welfare of all beings. So he doesn't seem to be particularly engaged in the welfare of anybody. I mean, he might not even offer you a cup of tea if you go to his cottage, uh, because he's continuously engaged at looking on, at the Ganga. Uh, so I remembered that. Then, so notice here the three levels of spiritual practice. The three cross three matrix I keep referring to. What is spiritual practice in Vedanta, in Advaita Vedanta? Three levels, three problems, three solutions, three practices. What are the three problems? The core problem is ignorance. As Swami Vivekananda says, Maya's veil, ignorance of our real nature. That's the core problem. Then what is the solution for that? Knowledge, knowledge of our real nature. And uh, what is the method for that? Jnana Yoga which is Shavana Manana Nididhyasana. Hearing, contemplating, meditating. So that should solve the problem. It doesn't. For most people, it doesn't. There might be a few for whom it might, or for all of us, it will one day, but at the end of a long process. The process begins because we find that this kind of thing does not immediately solve our problem. So what is the problem now? The second problem is uh, Vikshepa, restless mind. First problem, ignorant mind. Second problem, restless mind. Solution, concentrated mind. Focus, peaceful mind. Method, meditation. Japa, dhyana, all of that. Now what's the problem? I try to meditate, doesn't work. What is the problem now? The third level of the problem, impure mind. Impure mind. I'm translating the Sanskrit. Ignorant mind is avidya. Restless mind, vikshepa. An impure mind, mala. Mala vikshepa, avidya. Avidya mala vikshepa. Uh, so these are the three kinds of impurities, actually. Impure mind means the conditionings from the past, all the vasanas and desires and uh, the patterns of behavior in this life and many lifetimes past, who knows? These we are conditioned with it. So that is the problem. Solution, impure mind solution, pure mind. It's a no-brainer. Where does pure mind come from? It comes from one powerful practice is karma yoga, unselfish work. You see, impurities are all there because of selfishness. Everything and everybody for this one creature, that's selfishness. You reverse that, engage the energies of this body and mind for the welfare of others. And that, that becomes the first level of practice. So one interpretation for this verse is that engaged in the welfare of all beings is the first level of practice. It's not the Final consequence, uh, that is Madhusudana's interpretation. Another interpretation is Sarvabhuta Hiterata, you have to start with that. Um, in any case, 
So do you have the three cross three metrics in, in, in your mind's eye? Problem, uh, start at the bottom, the foundation, impure mind. Solution, pure mind. Method, karma yoga. Then next, problem, restless mind. Solution, focused mind or concentrated mind. Method, meditation. Raja yoga, bhakti yoga also a little bit applies there. Then finally, the core problem, ignorant mind. Solution, knowledge. Comes from method, jnana yoga. All of this will not do anything to your real nature. It will ultimately just remove the ignorance. It will just remove the delusion that I am not the Atman. You will at the end have this aha moment. Oh, I was always this. <laughs> that I am not this um, unlimited being, uh, immortal self. This ignorance is removed. Then 26th verse. Kama krodha viyuktanam yatinam yatachetasam abhito brahmanirvanam Sages who are free from passion and anger, who have controlled their mind and who have realized the self, attain absorption in Brahman here and hereafter. Very beautiful verse. This is Jivan Mukti, Videya Mukti. Freedom here and freedom hereafter. This here and hereafter is from the perspective of the body. For the enlightened person, it's nothing. Um, it, it is uh, uh, just a passing shadow. So what's the nature of the enlightened person? See here. Kama Krodha Vyuktanam. Finally, one is um, effortlessly free of the passion of, of the mind, the anger, the impurities of the mind. See, earlier it was, you have to withstand these waves. In verse number 23. Hmm. Verse number 23 said, the waves will come. These negativities, you don't follow them, don't, don't fall prey to them, don't act upon them. That is your practice. But does that continue as long as you live? No. There is a certain stage of safety. Actually, that happens when one becomes, one, one makes that breakthrough and becomes a Jivan Mukta. A Jivan Mukta is safe. So those, those waves of anger and you know, all negativity, uh, passions, they do not arise at all. They are gone forever. This person has attained peace. Yati nam, such. Uh, here, yati means a monk or a sage. Yatachetasam, those who have controlled their minds. Abhito Brahma Nirvana. From all sides they have attained Nirvana, freedom. All sides means here in this body, right now. And of course, after the death of the body. Technically known as Jivan Mukti, freedom while living. Videya Mukti, freedom after death. That's just a format for us, remember. It's not of much importance to the enlightened person. Even the word enlightened person is a, contradictory in a contradiction in terms. If you ask an enlightened person, so are you an enlightened person? You say, no. <laughs> First of all, out of natural reticence and modesty, they will not claim enlightenment. And then they will say, it is also technically wrong, philosophically wrong to say enlightened person. Enlightened person is not, no longer an enlightened person. Enlightened person is Brahman, is the absolute. Like Nisargadatta, he was asked, he was somebody praised him, you are a Brahma Jnani, knower of Brahman. And he, he, it seems he was a very rough kind of person. 
there's a gentleman in Los Angeles, Radha Krishnan, who has met Nisargadatta Maharaj. So he was telling me his reminiscences. He was quite rough. When he was, somebody said, you are a knower of Brahman. He shouted, you are insulting me. I am not a knower of Brahman. Uh, then, then what are you? This, how is it an insult? It's the greatest praise you can give. You know, in, in uh, spiritual life, in Indian culture, that's the pinnacle. You are a knower of the absolute. He said, I am not a knower of Brahman. I am Brahman. <laughs> so that's a rare admission. Generally, they, such people will, will not say any, anything. Uh, Swami Ranganathanji, whom I referred to, somebody here in the United States, there is a question answer that has been published. Somebody asked him that, have you seen God? Straight away. In India, generally, people won't ask that question. But Americans are Americans. So let's get down to brass tacks. Tell me, Swami, have you seen God? Somebody asked. It's been published there. And he was very American in his reply. He said, yes. And he goes on to say, but then he goes on to say in the language of the Kano Upanishad, what do you mean by seeing God? It's not like seeing Mr. X or Mrs. X. Uh, it is realizing uh, the, the self as the absolute. And you can see almost literally the language of the Kano Upanishad. That's Swami Ranganathanji. And that was in the 1980s when he, I think he was vice president or even before he was the vice president of the order, let alone the president. Um, yes. So they will generally not say, I am an enlightened person or I'm free, uh, you know, Jeevan Mukta. Uh, it's even philosophically, it's a wrong statement. Abhito Brahma Nirvanam. Vartate Viditatmanam. One of those who have realized I am that. Viditatmanam, they who know that I am the self. Everybody can say we are the self. We are, who else will we be except the self? But we don't know what we mean by the self. We always, we, it's not that we do not know the self, but we have a very partial and limited uh, conception of the self. Then number 27 and 28 are actually instructions for Vedantic Nididhyasana. And we'll read it, but the detailed explanations is we will follow in chapter 6. The whole of chapter 6 is basically a commentary on the verses 27 and 28. Whole of chapter 6. It's a famous chapter, chapter on meditation. It's a commentary on these two verses, 27 and 28. These are, uh, these are the very advanced spiritual practices, the uh, practice of Vedantic and Nididhyasana. Again, I, am, I will not be tired of repeating. I'm very conscious I'm giving an Advaitic interpretation to all of this. If you step away from the Advaitic paradigm, you will simply say, Krishna is teaching meditation. Why are you making it all about Vedantic Nididhyasana? In sixth chapter, Krishna will teach meditation. So the two senses are not too different. I'm saying Vedantic meditation, and if you don't follow the Advaitic framework, you will simply say it's a chapter on meditation. That's all. Anyway, uh, verses 27 and 28 are about meditation. We'll read it now. Sparshan kritva bahir bahyan chakshus chaivantare bhruvo prana pano samo kritva nasa bhyantarachareno. 27 and 28. Yatendriya mano buddhi. Munir moksha parayana vigate cha bhaya krodho yasada mukta evasa. 
shutting out external sense objects, fixing the gaze between the eyebrows, controlling the outgoing and the in, um, incoming breaths that move through the nostrils, with the senses, mind and intellect restrained and free from desire, fear and anger, the sage who has liberation as his highest goal is indeed free. Notice here, all the components of the Ashtanga Yoga of Panini have been, of, of Patanjali have been mentioned here. Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, I mean, more or less have been mentioned. Uh, the Vigata Ichha Bhaya Krodha, free of, uh, of desire and fear and anger, it basically refers to Yama and Niyama, the uh, preliminary practices. Asana has not been mentioned here, I think. But Sparshan Kritva, for then Pranayama has been mentioned. Pranapana Usama Kritva. And then um, uh, um, this Pratyahara, withdrawal from the external contact has been mention, mentioned as Parshan Kritva Bahir Bahyan. Then fixing the gaze, which is not part of the uh, Ashtanga Yoga, but it's a separate discipline called Trataka, Chakshu. Um, how you focus. Then, Yata Indriya, Mano, Buddhi. So, this is Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. The final part of Sanyama of the Ashtanga Yoga has been mentioned here. All the details will be talked about in sixth chapter. Then, the last verse is, is the result, liberation. Bhoktaram yajna tapasam sarva loka maheshwaram suridam sarva bhutanam jyatva maam shantim richati. Knowing me, the enjoyer of all sacrifices and asceticism, the great lord of all the worlds and the well-wisher of all beings, one attains peace. So Madhusudan Saraswati gives a very beautiful uh, commentary on this. He says, when you know me, Krishna, as what? As God. As God means what? The descriptions are bhoktaram yajna tapasam. So all worship, the Vedic sacrifices or the modern pujas which we do, they all are worship of that one reality, God. And Krishna says, I am that. You have to realize me as that. And uh, sarva loka maheshwaram, the Lord of all the worlds. That means the very definition of God in any theistic religion was the creator of the universe, creator, regulator, and the final dissolver of the uni universe. Uh, Srishti, Striti, Layakarta. That's the very definition of God. Here he's saying he is Saguna Brahman. So both ways, he is Saguna Brahman, that means Krishna is avatar, is incarnation of God. Knowing me to be that, and Suridam Sarvabhutanam, the well-wisher of all beings. Madhusudan Saraswati says, as the illuminer of all our, that as consciousness within, illuminer of all our thoughts and feelings and emotions, as the inner controller, antaryami, of all beings. He blesses us all from within by giving, by lighting up our body-mind system. And jnatva, knowing. Here Madhusudan Saraswati goes on. He says, further, deeper knowledge. So up to this is, I, Krishna, as God, um, Saguna Brahman. Then Madhusudan Saraswati goes further. All of this is nothing but existence, consciousness, bliss, which you are. So this is the knowledge which is required. And why is Krishna saying this? Because Arjuna might say, I know you, you are Krishna. And Madhusudan Saraswati says, not as you know me. 
as Krishna, the driver of your chariot, your chauffeur, uh, or as Ramakrishna, the priest of, uh, of Kali, uh, if, uh, uh, if you know me that way, it's not bad, but that will not give you liberation. You will have to know me in my divine aspect as God. I'm an incarnation of God. And who is God to whom all this worship goes? In all religions, in all times, people have worshipped that divine reality, that I am. I am the controller, creator, controller and destroyer of the universe. Not only that, that is from externally, internally, within you, I am the inner controller. How? Because I am consciousness. I illumine and reveal and um, enable all the activities of your senses, of your mind, of your memory, of your intellect. I am Satchidananda. You have to know me as incarnation, as God, and finally the Advaitic realization. I am that. And Madhusudan Saraswati says, Paramarthikam Satyam, the ultimate reality. That gives you moksha. Shantim Ritchati. Then you attain true peace. That is the final, that is the end. And that is the goal of all life. The purpose of all of this is to attain that knowledge. So very soaring commentary by Madhusudan Saraswati there. All right, let's just see the comments in the chat box. Vishwanathan says, regarding verse 23, is it a matter of practice that someone doesn't give in to waves of desire, especially and anger? I feel that the former is more difficult. Is there a particular way to strengthen that muscle? Yes, so many ways are there. How does one control anger and desire? So, so many ways are there. In fact, all of spiritual practices, they contribute to this. Um, look at how the yogas help. You know, bhakti yoga. What is bhakti yoga after all? Love, devotion, where does it come from? It is the same passion which flows out to the world that is now diverted towards God. So, Sri Ramakrishna says to Swami Turiyananda, that increase passion, increase your lust, but direct it towards God. That will help you. That becomes bhakti. What is the difference between bhakti and karma? Karma is desire. And what is bhakti? The difference is this. The nature of karma, the form of karma is, I want this. And this includes all things in the world, so many things in the world. And it gets scattered in a hundred different things in the world. That's the nature of desire. It is the same I want. But instead of this world, the hundred different things, you make put it as God. I want God. But the force, the power is the same I want. It comes from the heart uh, or it comes from the prana. Desire, I want this. So that, that is one way in which um, desire is controlled. Another way is unselfishness. The more we are about helping others, Less we think about our own little problems. Really, our problems are very little. So, less we think about, and they become mountain like if we dwell on them. I mean, if I cut myself off from the world, the world disturbs me. I want my own peace of mind. Then everything will just start disturbing me. Every little thing, every little problem in the body, every little. Uh, you know, thing which does not go the way I want it to go. It's much better. It's a much greater sign of strength to be in the midst of responsibilities, 
in the midst of difficult people, midst of a lot of work, and yet maintain your calmness of mind. That's much better. And you can do that by being unselfish. Unselfish in the sense, I am about helping you, making your life easier, making you happy. Um, you means everybody. It could be the family, it could be the community, people in your, uh, in your job. Generally, if you feel, I don't really want anything, I'm fine. Let me see what I can do for you. You will notice it's much easier to uh, handle anger and uh, uh, passion than meditation. If the mind gets habituated to remaining calm, serene, steady, able to hold on to one thing, not flicker, it's much easier to, um, you know, when the wave of anger or passion rises, quickly to substitute it for, uh, for a positive thought. To, let, to replace the negative with a positive thought. There have been neuroscience studies on that. I remember a presentation by a neuroscientist from Nimhans, which is uh, an elite institute of neuroscience in Bangalore in India. So he was saying that um, several years of studies on the brains of, of uh, regular meditators, advanced meditators, versus the control population, the average uh, person, it shows that the average person actually reacts very fast to the impulses coming in from and the meditators reaction is slower it's not that it's a handicap it's actually much better so they can consciously react to things they are much calmer as a matter of, uh, of you know by nature they are much calmer if you're much calmer you can actually consciously deliberately control what stays at the level of conscious thought what i'm referring to here is in the Yoga Sutras, there's a commentary on the Yoga Sutras called Vyasa Bhasha. And he quotes a very ancient saying. Ancient means more ancient than Patanjali and Vyasa. So it goes back three, four thousand years maybe. This is saying, evam vritti samskara chakram aharnisham vartamanam. What's going on here is our impurities. We keep talking about purifying the mind, removing negativities, removing passions. But those negativities, patterns and passions and conditioning is in our subconscious mind. We don't have direct access to it. We can't take a vacuum cleaner to it and suck it all out and throw it away and dust it and clean it. We cannot because we don't have direct access to it. It only when it bubbles up to the level of our conscious mind, we feel a, a wave of anger has come, wave of desire has come, wave of restlessness, a wave of depression, negativity. These things have come. Where have they come from? Not from a vacuum. They are, they are there in seed form. Now, how do you change that seed? You have no direct access to it. So this insight in the yoga, this very ancient saying, how, how wonderful these psychologists were, the ancient psychologists. They said, you know what's going on? The samskaras, the conditioning is out of our reach. But the conditioning manifests itself once in a while as a vritti, as a modification in the mind, a conscious thought, you know, a wave of anger, desire, depression, whatever. That is at the conscious level. You feel it directly. Now, what you can do is you can uh, attack that conscious uh, wave, the, the, that vritti. You can replace a negative vritti with something positive. Anger, you can replace it with peace. Desire, you can replace it with contentment. Um, you know, Jealousy, you can replace it with goodwill for the other. Something, you can replace it. 
if you do not replace it, if you give in to that, this is what happens is whatever you deliberately entertain at the level of your conscious mind. You said, I'm not deliberately entertaining. These thoughts are just coming. No, we have a responsibility. What's going on consciously in our mind now, we have the power to change it. And because we have the power to change it, at least at this moment, moment to moment, we have the power to take a decision, what we are going to think, what we are going to say, and what we are going to do. Notice, I did not say that we have the power to control our mind for 30 minutes or one hour. That's very difficult. But at this moment, for the next one second, two seconds or three seconds, I can control, everybody can control. So if we have that power, we have that responsibility also. That means whatever is going on in my conscious mind, I am responsible for that. Because I'm allowing it to happen. Either I'm deliberately holding on to those thoughts or feelings, or at least I'm not doing anything about it. It's just there and I could do something about it. And the recommendation is you deliberately, if you want to be a yogi, you deliberately replace negative patterns, negative thoughts with positive ones. And the most powerful direct way which a, um, like a yogi would do is replace every thought with a mantra, the name of God. One beauty of the mind is it can hold on to one thought at a time. And you have a say about which thought it is. It's a very great secret to mind control. It's something that you, they don't teach you in Advaita Vedanta because Advaita Vedanta goes beyond the mind, about goes straight to the witness consciousness. But the yogis are masters of what goes on in the mind at the level of psychology. And they, they made tremendous discoveries. So one very big discovery is only one thing is there at, at any point in our minds. And you have full power and responsibility about what is there. At this one second, at this moment, everybody has the power to um, let go of what's going on in the mind and put in something new. If you consciously put in something new and hold on to it in your conscious mind, when it finally goes away, it will go back into your subconscious mind. At first, it might be a drop. It might be a lot of negativity. Could be depression, anger, passion, jealousy, a lot of that. And just a drop of serenity or goodwill towards others or whatever, or calmness. But over time, this drop, 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 it will increase and it will cleanse out the, the stables, you know, from the Greek mythology, the tasks of Hercules, the Augean uh, stables, yes. So it will happen. And what's the sign that it is happening? Over time, you will see the, some, the vrittis which are bubbling up are good ones are helpful ones, are positive ones, are divine ones. What happened? Uh, it, the change is beginning to take place. But it takes place after a lot of effort. So this, the, it's all of this comes from that one little uh, indication. The cycle of vritti and samskara, of conscious thought and unconscious uh, conditioning. This, it's a cycle and it is rotating day and night. Ahar nisham vattamanam. The cycle is going on day and night. Catch that instant. Okay, one more thing to understand here is once the thought has come up from within, if it's a powerful conditioning, it's very difficult to control. But there is a window when it is coming up as a bubble when you can easily replace it with something positive. At the initial stage, it is still very weak, the thought which has come from within, from the subconscious. Within a second, it becomes powerful and very difficult to fight with it. So that um, neuroscientist from Nimhans was saying that this is where 
the meditator has an advantage. The meditator is aware of these things happening long before others are. Others are just overwhelmed by feelings of sadness or a burst of anger. Too late. Too difficult to control now. It's a powerful storm in the mind. All you can do is let it go and then regret it afterwards. Uh, so a meditator has advantages there. So these are the ways to strengthen that muscle. And from an Advaitic perspective, of course, I would always say, uh, Advaita class is a strengthening of the muscle. If you hear it again and again and again, you're not the body, not the mind. Good mind, bad mind, you're not the mind. You're the witness, and which is perfect all the time. It's very good to hear this because Swami Vivekananda said, the truth is a substance of, is a corrosive substance of infinite power. Once you have heard it, it will continue to work. If you do something about it, it will be much faster. But even if you don't do anything about it, it will work and it will take you to liberation one day. Then Poonam Ji or Anuradha is asking, do those yogis have to think about their real nature or does it present them there all the time? Think about their real nature as Nididhyasana, Shravan, Mana, Nididhyasana are all part of thinking or keeping their attention on their real nature. Does it present itself all the time? It presents itself. The real nature presents itself all the time for everybody, even for us right now. What knowledge does, Shravana and Manana, it, it makes it clear what is meant by the real nature. How is it presenting itself all the time? After that, we cannot deny that it's presenting itself. We can still blind ourselves to it by remaining engaged in other things. Then Nididhyasana is required. Deliberately staying with the real nature which has been identified. We must first identify the real nature. Right now, our mind is scattered in body, mind and world. After identifying the real nature, how? Through Shravana and Manana. Then you're clear. You know what you're talking about. But then you still have the responsibility of staying with it. Because the mind is conditioned in roaming around. Even after understanding things, mind still goes on roaming around in the world. That's the habit. It's an inertia. So that is reversed by Nididhyasana. That is the meaning of Antarjyoti given by uh, Madhusudan Saraswati. So Antarjyoti is not consciousness within. It's rather awareness of awareness. Staying with that clarity. Poonamji says, does initially in the path of sadhana, asakti, detachment lead to indifference, udasinata? If it does, how can this problem be overcome? Indifference is not really a problem. If your goal is spiritual, God-realization, indifference will not be apathy. Apathy can be a psychological problem. Depressed people are apathetic. There is no interest in anything. But you are interested. You are interested. You are turning up regularly for the Vedanta class. If the effect of the Vedanta class is you lose interest in Vedanta, then there's something wrong. But it is you lose interest in other things and more interest in Vedanta, then it's all right. Praveer Babu says, if I'm correct, Gita was before Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Um, yes, it was. But um, obviously the yogic techniques existed. Because they are mentioned even way back in the um, Upanishads. And uh, also, the Buddha, 
when he learned meditation from his teachers alada alada kalama and uddala karama putta these are the names of his teachers and from his um recollections we see that he was taught a kind of proto sankhya or not proto sankhya pretty well developed sankhya and proto yoga he was not satisfied with that he went on further and he developed it further but clearly these yogic meditation techniques existed in a developed form at that time uh, just the sutras systematization uh, probably came later I, i'm not very sure about the date of the yoga sutras probably it's post buddhistic and uh, gita is pre buddhistic though there are many scholars who would say gita is post buddhistic if it were there would be many more explicit references to uh, buddhist doctrines but there's nothing no explicit refer- reference to the buddha at all in the bhagavad gita um then shravani is saying is there an advaitic interpretation of i am surhidam friend of all beings yes what madhusudan saraswati has done is surhidam what is surhidam i am the consciousness in all beings i bless all beings with awareness so that you know the body mind functions so i, I am the friend of all beings as the antaryami inner dweller still this is still saguna brahman immediately after that he makes the transition that my real nature is existence consciousness place where i and that being we are one uh, so that knowledge is required so, so that is the advaitic simple in these things i am surhidam friend of all beings i am the enjoyer of all sacrifices i am the controller of the worlds what is the advaitic interpretation of these it is saguna brahman saguna brahman notice how smoothly madhusudan saraswati moves from saguna brahman to nirguna brahman there and then asserts you must realize your identity with nirguna brahman so that's the advaitic uh, uh, commentary prabir babu says you have a talk on decision making about this where can we find a sanskrit verse you just quoted talk on decision making yes i mentioned it once few years ago at the gibbard center in uh, los angeles i gave a talk um, three great powers within us and one of the powers i mentioned was this power of decision making actually it was inspired by this very ancient comment in the yoga sutra commentary that we always have this freedom but it's a tiny tiny gap a window of opportunity which snaps shut every moment moment to moment and if you have a calm and observant mind you can take advantage of this window of opportunity that's the decision we have we have the power to take a decision about what we are going to think what we are going to say and what we are going to do kaya mana vakya with body with speech and with mind what we are going to do you say i don't have control no you do you have control for one moment i know what you mean it's difficult to control the mind for 30 minutes one hour very difficult but for one moment nobody can say that i don't have control i have control about what i'm going to think just now so who who told you that the decision can be taken only once when do we power, have the power of decision every moment take a decision again i failed to do it take a decision again you have got, got the opportunity again next moment it deliberately exercising this power of decision moment to moment to moment minute after minute hour after hour day after day life will be transformed very fast this enormous power we are given we don't use it we are just going on default 
I, I use the example of computers, not these computers, they're too fast these days. But when we first saw this, they're called 286 machines, 386 machines. So they had a booting sequence and you were given the opportunity of interrupting the booting sequence. You had to press a combination of keys very quickly. Then it would stop in its tracks and ask you, like give you the option of um, doing something different. If you didn't, it would boot, um, you know, we all knew this. Nowadays, I guess youngsters won't know this applies only to very slow old computers. It had a default boot booting sequence. So if you don't do anything, it will go on the default. If you interrupt it, then it gives you a chance to do something differently. Okay, humorous incident. Uh, humorous story break. Uh, this is a Swami has passed away several years ago, so I can take his name. So he's a wonderful old Swami. He's in charge of the Ramakrishna mission in Delhi. Swami Gokulanandaji. Some of you may have seen him. Uh, he was uh, uh, he a wonderful Swami. Uh, a remarkable character in many ways. So they had installed a computer for the first time. He was very humorous. He was in charge of the ashram and I was a visitor. I was a new brahmachari, a, new, a novice, just joined a few months ago. And I was visiting from the ashram. I had been sent to Delhi for some work. So I was a guest and like the literally the lowest in the hierarchy of monks. I'm just a newcomer. But somebody told him that this young boy knows computers. And uh, their new computer had broken down. So he came to me and he said, can you do something about it? I said, I can try. And uh, he said, all right, come. Now I discovered something amazing. This is, you, <laughs> I think only a Swami can do this. There was this poor uh, typist, stenographer, long suffering, old gentleman, very kind and gentle person. He said, the procedure, the way we work is, the Swami gives me a dictation, which I take down you know, in shorthand. Then I type it out in my typewriter, old typewriter. And then I give it to him and he corrects it. And then I type it out until it's perfect. Then I type it on the computer. And then we can take a printout. I said, why not on the computer directly? He said, you can't explain it to the Swami. The Swami says, it's too sophisticated. You can't make mistakes in a computer. <laughs> it's, it's such an advanced machine. And, you should not make your silly mistakes in the computer. You can do whatever you want on your typewriter, get it all correct. I said, but that doesn't make sense. And the gentleman said, just go along, play along with it. You can, we can't explain it to him. And it says like, it's the favorite um, child in the ashram now, the computer. It sits next to the Swami's uh, office chair and nobody's allowed to touch it until, unless he's present and watching you like an eagle. So I went there and started working and I saw there was some problem. In those days, you could fix it. You know, there was a, I don't know, the computer guys, I don't know if modern guys will know this. Uh, we knew it. You could open it up in the back and there was a battery and you could take it out. It would um, take the, you know, there's a memory which, which would go blank and then you could boot it fresh, like a, like a factory thing. So uh, I was working on it and the Swami said, uh, are you making progress? Is it happening? I said, uh, yes. And the Swami said, give him pious. Pious means like this is sweet. <laughs> it, it will charge his brain. Good, good. And a little later, is it working? I think I said, Swami, I think I've got it. It'll work. Oh, good. Give him a sweet, a prasad from the temple. <laughs> so I got all sorts of things. And more progress I made, more delicacies started coming for me. And it quickly became a, a, a hot favorite of the Swami. 
because I was able to interrupt the booting of the computer and get it to do what, what was um, necessary. Now, this is exactly what happens to us. We don't interrupt the booting. So it just goes on its default setting. The power of decision is to interrupt that, uh, that default, default flow. Um, yes. So do look up that uh, talk. It's on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, the keyboard centered talk. It was about a couple of years, three, three years ago, I think. The same place where I gave the talk on Gandhi recently. Then as a householder, it is very difficult to practice spiritual disciplines. We are discussing when everyone at, at home is not in the same path. That is true. If people are on the same path, it's easier. But even if they are not, you have your own life too. A little bit of practice, everybody can do. The Holy Mother demonstrated, Masharada, in the midst of a busy, difficult household. A lot of hard work, a lot of um, just plain physical uh, labor. And, you know, in those days, and dealing with very difficult people, inc including some mentally unstable people. In the midst of that, so much spiritual practice. And that spiritual practice is not in spite of that. It helps to deal with that. I remember a quote from Martin Luther, the reformer, not Martin Luther King, reformer Martin Luther. He writes that uh, I spend an hour on my knees praying every day in the morning. But when I am very busy, I have no time at all. I spend two hours. <laughs> if there's a lot of work, a lot of responsibility, I pray even more. Swami Bhajananji's article, um, you have shared meditation and concentration. Absolutely. His articles are very luminous. You have shared it for, with others. Rick says he knew uh, Harvey Benson. Yes, he just told people to think of a word such as one. Harvey Benson was this very famous person, this psychologist, I think he was at Harvard. And now the Benson relaxation response is part of psychology textbooks. And he got it from uh, Maharshi Mahesh Yogi's method of meditation, which is now known as transcendental meditation. You're right. All right. Thank you so much. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa Namastu